Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. And I'm Daryl Etherington. And for this episode, we are going to review the new Netflix reality show, Too Hot to Handle. Before we do that, we should touch on a little bit of news about Netflix itself, which is their earnings, which came out yesterday as we record this on Wednesday. And everyone expected Netflix to do really well to to add new subscribers, but they kind of blew through what those expectations were. They'd been forecasting 7 million new subscribers. I think I'd seen some other estimates of maybe it would be more like 8 million. It ended up being 15.8 million, which is bigger than any other quarter in, in recent memory. Not a huge surprise in the sense that, of course, Netflix was going to do incredibly well, but... Still, like I, when I was going through the the press release, I really thought it might I might be misreading the press release because the number just seemed too high. Well, and meanwhile, I just saw where AT and T lost almost a million subscribers last quarter. Yeah, I think I, I saw that. Pay TV subscribers. Yeah, pretty wild. Yeah, it's um, it, it feels like I mean, you know, Disney Plus certainly is is doing um very well by all the numbers they're putting out, but but Netflix is definitely. The dominant player and and has been I think has, has only benefited from from what's been happening. Um, well, I, I I should say in terms of growth they've benefited. Um, they have had to halt productions on just like every other Hollywood studio. I think we mentioned may have mentioned this kind of a few weeks ago. Just the fact that production was was stopping, which at the time seemed like it was worth mentioning. Now it seems obvious because everything stopped. But, you know, what seemed at first like something that might just be of sort of slowing down of the content hose later this year. Now, I think it's a much bigger question of how long is this going to go on when things restart? Will movie production and TV production be something that can restart fairly quickly? Or or is that going to take a while before they can do that safely? So I think now there are certainly a lot more questions about is everyone just going to hit a point where they're just out of content because you can't make anything new anymore? Well, they can make new stuff. What's that? Isn't there some show that is, is Fraggle Rock? I don't know if this was our, our boss, Matthew being funny or not, but like he mentioned that it was the shot. It's a new Apple TV Fraggle Rock and that it was shot on iPhone, like in homes. Mm -hmm. No, that's all correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's there, <laughs> there is the path forward, I guess, um, to some of this stuff, right? And then we've seen like specials and we've seen um, John Krasinski do his thing, which irritates me for a reason that I can't really put my finger on except for maybe my normal, uh, my normal grumpiness. I don't know. But like... I mean, he seems like he's very much in the same vein as, as James Corden, uh, where it's oh, just maybe this that's very kind of effusive positive not late night but a variety or or talk show host in a way that's like charming but maybe feels a little glib maybe that's what it is because i yeah i keep getting like even my mother keeps sending me like the clips from them like you should watch this and i'm like i can i can never watch this i know already in advance <laughs> i can never watch this well i as somebody who, who really loves both hamilton and dear evan hansen both of them, uh, both of their shows have done these um, Zoom reunions of the cast singing songs from from the shows, and I've enjoyed it. That sounds fine. 
Actually, my I was supposed to see Hamilton, but that showing was canceled because of um, bad, you know, everything. I haven't seen anything. I I wanted to see ha- Hanson really bad because I love that. What's that actor's name, Anthony? I know you know. Oh, uh, Ben Platt. Ben Platt, love him. Love his voice. It gives me shivers. But I didn't, and I also wanted to see Hamilton, but it was like seven hundred dollars every time. I'm not like rich. Yeah, it's expensive. That was actually a nice thing about the cancellation is they did refund us that money. <laughs> yeah, well, I I recommend seeing both shows when when you can, although it'll be with very you know not the original. When I'm richer. Cast. Uh, when you're richer, and when you know the shows come back, but also yeah, both of the the James Corden, Dear Evan Hansen, and the John Krasinski Hamilton performances are on YouTube, and they're good. They're they're good. They made me smile. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention about Netflix is they so last quarter they started releasing a a new way that they are going to count the. Um, a new way they're going to measure audience for their shows. And so instead of measuring or instead of telling you how many people have watched a show, they're telling you how many people have chose to watch by which they mean selected it and watched at least two minutes. And we talk about this. Yes. And so Mm -hmm. they, I just wanted to be clear about that because I think it's still worth clarifying that because sometimes people like when they talk about like Netflix's numbers, they make it sound like this is just, regular audience numbers but there i think there's an asterisk and i think for now it's worth, still worth kind of like poking them a little bit about it and being like this is not right. a regular audience number but by this measure tiger king uh has been chosen to to be watched by 64 million households which is a lot but not as many as the 85 million people who have apparently chosen to watch spencer confidential which is an action movie starring Mark Wahlberg. How is that even possible? I know I've heard things. I've heard that it might be potentially a good hate watch, but I haven't seen that much buzz for it anywhere. Unlike for Tiger King. Maybe it's just that maybe it's the filter bubble problem again. It it does also seem that there's some something about these dumb action movies on Netflix and when I say dumb I don't necessarily mean they're good or bad I just mean that they're sort of like all right here's another action movie for you um is like they seem to at least by this metric they seem to do really really well because I remember last quarter they said The Witcher was a huge hit and their biggest show ever and it had like 75 million chose to watch uh viewers but the Ryan Reynolds movie Six Underground which we reviewed had again like 85 million so like these random action movies that no one seems to talk about seem to be doing better than even the most popular show on netflix i think they're they're very broad they have broad appeal right like across Mm -hmm. like i would probably watch that if i was just bored and i'm and i think lots of other people who would watch that if they were just bored who wouldn't watch anything else that i generally like to watch right and low commitment so sometimes i feel like these numbers like lose context over time so like just to provide a little bit of that the super bowl drew 100 million viewers in 2019 total not um throughout the entire thing obviously but people who tuned in i guess chose to watch we can use that as a as a, a metric here and then trump's uh 
coronavirus press conferences are drawing something like 8.5 million on cable news, which is about the equivalent of the Bachelor season finale. If that's helpful when we're thinking, yeah. About although I, I, numbers I think stuff. we talked about this before, and I, and I ended up looking it up, which is that usually when when you look at TV ratings, they're usually either they'll tell you sort of at a certain period of time it like started out at this number and it went to this number, but otherwise it's usually like an averaged out number of like at a given period of time this an average of this many people were watching, um, right? Versus it's dirty. This and so like that's a, a very different number from what you get uh, with, with Netflix where it's like, I may have just clicked on it, watched three minutes and then been like, screw this. Yeah. But like, to be fair, like originally Netflix was talking about like mostly completed stuff. Right. So like they, they kind of are going back to on par with like, it feels slightly more apples to apples with cable TV now with this kind of like dirty metric than it did before when they were like judging themselves on a much higher bar yeah i mean right? it's, it's just it's really hard to compare i think is my point like i don't necessarily i'm not enough of like, a do it anyway. but like i i do How think that, that like <laughs> i think netflix gets very big numbers by this measurement and i think to be fair i mean netflix just you know concretely has a huge audience it has 183 million paying subscribers now so like it's huge by by any measure but i also think that yeah, it's just, it's, again, not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. That's all. Tiger King, very popular, not as popular as Spencer Confidential. We will see how Too Hot to Handle does. It, it seems like a lot of people are also talking about that. Um, it's definitely in the top, the top 10, 10, according. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's what mine yep. says. Oh, me and Daryl, we're just like little two peas in a pod, <laughs> aren't we? Yeah, yeah. So it's top 10 in Canada and it's top 10 in the U.S. because yeah. it's a national ranking. Yep, that's that doesn't countries. surprise me. Canada is just like, we are kind of American, but smarter and nicer. It's ahead of the last dance, which is apparently some kind of a sport program. Um I do like sporting programs, documentary style or fiction. I believe it's a documentary. The Last Dance is the Michael Jordan documentary, right? Yeah. Oh. That's so that that's on ESPN in the U.S. I think, but maybe in Canada you can get it on. In Canada, they had an early release here. Yeah, I do know what it it is. Do you think it'll go to Netflix? No. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that's an international deal. Will it go to Disney Plus? No, because there's a separate ESPN Plus. Right. But when will I get... You got to sign up for ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> shit's getting worse, you guys. Like, when they say shit's going to get worse before it gets better, like, that's absolutely true of the TV landscape. Like, we've never had more content to choose from or better quality content to choose from. And then at the same time... More this, arbitrary like, restrictions. Yeah. Yeah, is going to make things really annoying. Like, I've been having conversations with my mom and about 18 months ago, I guess, like, you know, a few months after the launch of Hulu Plus, she switched over to mm-hmm. from from cable TV to Hulu Plus. She was happy, and then they raised the price, and then I think they raised the price again. And she's like, "What's going on here?" And I keep trying to like, like, "Mom, I'm trying to manage your expectations here. Like, it will get worse. Like, CBS is going to pull out of all of this, and um, whatever the HBO Max stuff and Peacock, right? Like, I don't." I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I don't know if you're going to have $45 bills every month. I don't know if 
Hulu Plus kind of manages to wiggle its way. I don't know if YouTube TV is maybe the switch. I don't know. It's like hard to predict and it's going to get worse for sure. Like we all need to brace for generally increased bills that, that, that sound like they're going to be sounds like, Oh yeah, like I'm going to save money, but you're not like when it's all said and done and you want all the content, you're not, I don't think not to mention your internet bill goes up when you decouple it from pay TV. So it's going to be bad. Mm -hmm. Although hopefully lift spirits, you know, hopefully they have to adjust to that thing, that decoupling thing, but we'll see as more and more people have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most corporations that compete against each other tend to adjust to the needs of the consumer. That's what I've noticed as yeah. well. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> a, a period of it'll be a period that's better for people like me who are totally fine being like you know, not who aren't completists and and can just be like, eh, it sounds like a lot of people are talking about this, but I'm okay with like not seeing it. Versus, I think Jordan, you're a bit more of a completist and more of this, which I mean, maybe means slightly different things in different contexts. But in this context, I mean, like, I'm okay with the fact that there's probably gonna be like shows that people talk about that I won't see and that are gonna be on channels that I don't pay for. Whereas I think that's gonna be harder for you. Yep. I mean, I I'm also like a content addict, and I think it's fair to say that the three of us are probably fit into that category on a on a spectrum Mm -hmm. um but like it it loads in just above video games for me and both really are like cut from the same cloth in my opinion so that is how i enjoy spending my time where other people enjoy taking their dog on walks (laughs) or tinkering with things or painting or you know reading books or working out or what like that is my primary hobby is watching amazing or shitty television so um it definitely is going to be a challenge for me the good news is that like i don't really spend money on all that other shit so um i've kind of got a disposable income to spend on content but it it will become more and more annoying and it's definitely going to become annoying for these cord cutters who were who thought they were getting a deal like people like my mom who like probably in the mid-range of TV consumption. And she thought, hey, I don't watch this cable TV enough to really justify spending the money on it, but I do want access to my shows, you know, live or on demand shortly thereafter. Wow, I can cut my cable bill from 120 bucks to 40 bucks. Or at, yeah, at the time, it, I think it launched at 40 bucks or $35. It's slowly creeping up, you know, and soon some of the channels that she likes having on there i i assume will just be snatched away and then what another five dollar add-on another five dollar add-on right and it that's the kind of thing that is really going to piss some people off and i don't think it's going to i don't think those pissed off people are going to deter these companies from doing this because it's literally their lives on the line right like they can't without adapting they should have been doing this 10 years ago so without adapting now, they're really looking at a very bleak, you know, two-year, five-year, ten-year forecast for their existence. You can't necessarily blame them, but until there's another kind of great consolidation, which again, bad for customers, it's just like a vicious, terrible cycle that we're in. And I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. Maybe it's Quibi. What do you think, Daryl? 
Yeah, probably that one. That's what I think. That's going to be the, the, big, the grand solution. Because <laughs> they'll do because maybe they'll do like a. It's like the only one that the other ones all get atomized and just broken apart, and then Quibi is like the largest single content collection of all of them as the other one splinter that would be and they just all they have to do is survive until then i do think you're also going to see more of these services that aren't primarily subscription driven like peacock there will be a, a subscription level but people will be able to get onto it and watch it for free with ads and i think you're going to see more of these like uh streaming services that aren't necessarily netflix or disney plus where you feel like you have to subscribe if it's more like, well, this is interesting, I, I think more companies are just going to, you know, that they're going to do streaming apps because they want a direct path to the consumer. They don't want to just, you know, hand over all or sell their content to Netflix, but they don't necessarily have the ability to, to create a huge subscriber base on their own. Um, uh, that, that like, you know, most people are going to be willing to pay another $10 or whatever for their content. So I think you'll have more free options over time too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like the free options though. I don't, I, I don't like the advertisements. <laughs> well, that's the choice, Daryl. You can pay to get rid of them or you can see the advertising. I choose to pay, but I also want to choose to pay for a few things instead of a million things. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It depends until they have another new thing and another new thing. They can make content faster than you can watch it. That's the lesson I've learned. Well, not anymore. Unless it's phone content or animation. Animation is another thing. Maybe everything will be animated. <laughs> no, doesn't animation take way longer? Yeah, but you can do it remotely. Oh, yeah, right. I was missing kind of the point of what you guys were talking about. Mm -hmm. Shocker. I am addicted to... The most dangerous game, though, you guys. Are you still watching? No. no. But oh, man. They... It is so good. <laughs> but I, what I do is I save it until the weekend. So I get to watch like a full, like essentially 38 to 40 minutes of it oh, okay. at once. Well, they announced today Which that works. it's going to be on TVs like I think next month or something like that. So if it, it, I'll, I'll watch it then. When it gets to TVs, I'll probably watch it. Well, let's get back to... Uh, too hot to handle and I mean does, does one of you want to try to explain what the concept of the show is uh, I can but it feels like something that Daryl's passionate about yeah so but my my conceptual descriptions usually will base because okay, I'll, I'll base it on the other you, one yeah you go if you have some you know tweaks or corrections I'm sure you won't be shy about that so um, too hot to handle is a reality show where I think it starts with nine sexy singles who are very promiscuous. I think it's five women and four men. Um, and they just kind of arrive at this retreat. And there is not a host, but there is an AI, huge scare quotes over the AI robot. It's really just like an actor, producer who talks through a robot. Um, and a kind of like off-screen host slash narrator slash like voice of the audience. And the concept is that these singles need to grow personally. And the way that they're doing that is by these rules. So there's a $100,000 prize pool. They don't know if it's for all of them or for just one winner or what. 
but they know that they can win it at the end if they follow the rules. And the rules are that they cannot kiss, heavy pet, really anything from the spectrum of kiss to have sex, including self-gratification throughout their stay. And every time they do, it costs them money. The money gets pulled from the prize pool. So they're all like, think it's this regular dating show where they're all just going to go like, you know, hook up the whole time. And then 12 hours in, they realize, oh, uh, that's not the case. You're actually going to have to form deeper, more meaningful connections in order to have access to the money. I think that's mostly the concept. Yeah, I would have just said it was like Love Island, but with no sex rules. And I like to be thorough. Yeah, no, I know, <laughs> and people don't know what Love Island is like. I probably. had never seen Love Island, and I was watching this on on Netflix Party, and, and the people I was watching with, they kept saying, "Oh, this is just like Love Island," and I was very annoyed. Yeah, because you now you have to watch it. That's no, I'm mean. never gonna watch Love Island. I did enjoy this <laughs> though. I mean, I found it uh, quite suspect in terms of that it's it's very much a reality show that tries to ha- have its cake and eat it too in the sense that there's like these lectures about finding meaningful relationships and oh yeah and like chiding you know the contestants because they've only been interested in meaningless sex rather than deeper relationships but then you know the whole show is designed so you can ogle these people as they run around in um you know in swimsuits and as they, you know, grope and make out with each other. So you can both feel superior to them, like morally and whatever superior to them, but also like get titillated. But I will say that as entertainment, it totally worked for me. I found that completely compelling. Yeah, well, it's it's not at all sincere. And it's made even more cynical by the fact that like, there are moments when it seems like the contestants have like kind of sincere revelations out of it. And you're like, oh, like the, the the producers were depraved and cynical in their setup of this scenario. <laughs> and yet they've triggered a real human response and they're still laughing at you, right? Like it's it, when you get into that, it gets a little, you, you sort of feel a little bad at times. But I mean, it's, it's schlocky entertainment and it should be, it's, it's, and it's, it's an indulgence. It should be treated as an indulgence, I think. One thing that I found really brilliant is that because, I mean, they are very vague about exactly how, like, like how the money, if it's, like you were saying, Jordan, is it like one person winning or is it just this $100,000 pot that gets split among everyone? It's sort of, I guess, more implied that it's something closer to the latter. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, but because of that, what it turns everyone into is into the sex police. And so there's like scenes of characters you know chiding each other or, or kind of looking over suspiciously and wondering like oh are they about to kiss are they about to have sex like how dare you have sex or how dare you make out this is money out of my pocket and i just thought that was great yeah yeah i did too they, yeah when they start adopting roles that's that's good around that and um yeah they definitely range on the spectrum of like what how much they care about this thing and there's a bit of like it takes some longer than others to adapt to it but there's also a bit of just like i think some just lack the con the the concept they're just like i don't know that doesn't that's nothing to me that is it, it doesn't 
uh, you say it's this much money, even if I break it down to a per person, like has no meaning to me versus the immediacy of like, I just want to really have sex with this person right here in front of me or whatever. Right. So, and then there are others who are like, that is, that makes a lot of difference. I understand how much difference that's, that makes. And I'm going to be very, very serious about it. Right. Jordan, what did you think of the show? Um, I don't know. Something about it just felt slightly more washed out. Like I was really kind of addicted to um, Love is Blind Mm -hmm. in a weird way. And I get the same way about some of my cable TV reality shows like Survivor and Bachelor and stuff like that. And I don't. I didn't feel that same way about this, but there are several factors that could that I should be fair about. One is that I'm staying with my mom right now uh, and my sister, and my sister hates the show. She actually asked me to mention on the podcast because <laughs> sometimes my sister says, oh, that makes me want to kill myself, and I get really upset. I don't like that as like a joke or like turn of phrase. I, it just bothers me, particularly for my little sister, you know, and I always say, don't say that, Jackson. I hate that. And she was like, I just want you to know that I really, truly mean it with this show. And I want you to say that on the podcast. (laughs) So that's how she feels about it. Um, It's also awkward to watch, like, people talking about having sex and, like, blowies and boners and stuff with your mom. (laughs) Um, Like, she, she actually didn't seem like... She was definitely like, ew, what a loser, gross, you're you're stupid, or what, you know, like, she had some commentary for sure, but she didn't seem, like, too off-put by watching it with me for whatever reason. Um, maybe that's progress in our relationship, I don't really know, but I couldn't fully commit myself to paying attention and really enjoying it, I think, because it was slightly awkward. And then the other piece of it, too, was that, like, I didn't feel... Uh, this changed slightly over time, but particularly like for the first three episodes or so, I really never felt like there was someone to root for. And even in the t- worst of the worst television shows, you kind of find someone where you're like, okay, you're, you're, you've got a head on your shoulders. It's not a perfect head, but it's getting there. And I can kind of see things from your point of view a little bit. And I don't know, just someone to kind of hold on to, you know, like in a show. And I just eventually I got there out and I I guess I can wait for spoilers before I share who my Mm -hmm. my two people are that were tolerable for me. But um, it took a minute. I will say, what is the name of the the narrator? Oh, um, not so not the AI, but the actress who's narrating it. No, no, not Lana, the actual act. She's a comedian and a dominatrix. I just can't remember her name. We, we looked this uh, up before we started recording and then I've already forgotten. Um, it's Desiree Birch. Desiree Birch. So I, I want to talk about this as a concept a little bit. Um, is that okay? Yeah. Can, am I talking too much? No, no, this is good. Yeah. So... The concept with her, she's never on screen. She has almost, I mean, obviously the producers tell her when she can talk and edit around her, et cetera, et cetera. But it feels a little bit like unfettered kind of access to us as the audience. And she, it's meant to be kind of like she's sitting next to you, right? And she's like your friend being like, oh my God, this guy, can you imagine, right? Like she 
kind of gives this running commentary, a little bit of exposition on what's about to happen or what just did happen. But most of the time, it's just kind of like commentary about these people and what they're doing and what they're getting up to. And though I don't think that it was perfect, I think that this is a little bit of a pioneering moment for reality television. I think we're going to see a lot more of this and that too hot to handle kind of threw its body at it. And, um, and it, like I said, it wasn't perfect, but it is an interesting concept that the problem is you're never going to please everyone. Right. Like I thought maybe 20% of what she said was really funny. Another 20% didn't was like neutral. And the rest was like, Oh, that could have been funnier or different or better. Or that was kind of cheesy, like a little bit annoying, but I wasn't mad at it ever because I, as a concept, I think that we'll only like producers, you know, filmmakers, TV makers, whatever, will only get better and they'll use this. What did you guys, I'm curious what you guys thought about that. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's another very Love Island thing. Like that's Love Island has had that since the start in in the UK. Oh, well, fuck me then. (laughs) but it's you know they they had a i think he was scottish or irish the narrator who's never seen and doesn't participate right and like just is on side and like makes jokes at the expense of everybody who's on the island so it's yeah it's like they're on side with you the viewer and it's very very effective in that show because that show is like absurd right and the the narrator realizes that it's absurd and is making all the jokes, pointing out it and even pointing out like the lame edits and like everything, right? Like, um, the cheapness of like their production for the dates, like they usually just set up card tables or whatever, like, <laughs> and, and they'll like comment on that. Right. So it's, it's actually quite good. And it's like, I think what elevates those shows over versions of it that have come previously, like, um, whatever, like, uh, paradise something blah 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 I forget what they all are right but like there's been tons of attempts like that and it and it and it's it's also like a nice refreshing difference from the the like self-imposed earnestness of something like The Bachelor um, and I do think it makes that genre like better uh, and more interesting and also more fun um, yeah and and I thought they did it really well in this one too but uh my favorite still is is even not even um, uh, Love Island, but Love Island Australia. The narrator in that one, who is again mimicking pretty much exactly the one in in the UK original, but is a different person and has a quietly different, more sarcastic approach, is like the best one I've seen so far. So, I think I think it does make a big difference, and I think it's like a thing that could. Um, carry people over the hump of like watching this that otherwise wouldn't right like because you, you can kind of like pick and choose you can kind of be like okay i'm watching this show because of the mechanics of what's going on or you can be like i'm watching this show because my partner is watching the show or whatever but like i'll stick around because of this person is, is is expressing the absurdity of it or whatever right like so it gives other pe- people another a new way in um i definitely think it's i, I mean it's kind of like you could even say like it was inspired by some of this stuff. Uh, we talked a lot about Terrace House, but like there is this tradition in Japanese TV of like the the viewer 
watches it mediated through another set of viewers, right? And this that's kind of the same thing that's happening here, but it's like real time and like throughout as a narration, right? But it's, I think it is effective and I like it as a reality show uh, mechanic. Yeah, I thought she was great. I mean, you know, some of the jokes are better than others and some of them are genuinely terrible. Um, but just having this sort of really energetic self-aware presence um i mean i think the show in general has this self-awareness like even the contestants i mean they'll say and and have obviously been coached by the producers to be very both like sexually forward but also like very self-confident and just talk about like you know how much how easy it is for them to attract uh you know people they can sleep with and so but then they will sort of do this self-conscious self-conscious laugh and you can tell they're sort of putting on a front a little bit, at least that's how I saw it, that that there's, you know, that, that, that they're trying to play the role of this incredibly hot, promiscuous man or woman. And and I liked that the show, it, the whole time it felt like there was a little bit of winkiness to it. And I liked those moments much more than times where it started to feel a little bit more sincere because that, to me, just felt hypocritical. Yeah. Should we also talk about Lana, the the assistant? I mean, the virtual assistant who I assume is basically just a microphone <laughs> in a plastic container. Yeah, like an air, like a air diffuser or something that they bought off of Amazon in bulk. Because it's it, it's I like the industrial design of the thing; it's great. But it's it is funny that they maintain too that it's like a Alexa type thing or something. When oh god, I just triggered my actual one. No, go back to sleep. <laughs> Um, when, yeah, you're right. It's just a speaker playing their prompts at the appropriate times, but you get the sense either the people are playing along or they like believe that it's some kind of assistant thing. And I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's a good, a good way to do that as opposed to having a host come in, I guess. Um, because the host is always kind of like an incongruous element of these other shows that go like the Love Island type shows where you're like, I don't know, they they break up the weirdness of the of the of the world that they set up, like the strange fictional like hyper sexualized world they build. So I feel like it's nice to just have it like mandated by this thing that kind of like hands down rules, and it also I think makes it seem more. Um, uh, binding or pervasive or something. It's like, yeah, it's just this this robot that's doing it, and it's and it's providing us this this guidance that's based on science or something, right? Like, I know that the another reality show that we've talked about, Are You the One, also claims to use science as like the backing for all of its thing. But I think that having this dispassionate robot provide this insight is like another step there that uh is is effective both on the uh, the people actually participating and maybe on the audience too i was gonna say that it almost felt kind of dystopian except again that i knew that yeah, the technology yeah. was probably nothing but if it were true if there was really this virtual assistant that was constantly surveilling them and you know measuring their worth as you know m- mates who can establish a meaningful connection that sounds horrible <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it I think it does work on that level and I think it's kind of like I mean from just a okay, how does the audience receive this type perspective? It's like 
well, let's do this because people assume their things do this kind of thing anyway, right? Like, it's like, oh, of course it would be that, right? Like, because Alexa's always listening or whatever's uh, didn't, didn't trigger at that time. Um, yeah, like people think things are already, already all listening to everything they do and like send it, showing them advertisements on their phones based on it anyway. So it's kind of like naturally this would serve that purpose in this in this house. Right? Is there anything else you want to talk about before we move into spoilers? Uh no, I mean I think I think it's interesting that Netflix has so quickly I mean, I don't know what their launch site maybe their launch site plans have changed obviously because of everything that's going on, but like I think that they're really gonna mine this vein. Like they have the circle and they keep releasing different versions of the circle, like basically weekly it seems like, like different international versions. And then they have um oh goodness, I've already forgotten the name of it. Uh, love love is blind love is blind right and before that they they got the rights to and released a number of similar australian shows that i don't think they originally produced but i think they just picked up and i think they just saw that building and now i feel like they're gonna uh just keep hitting this while the iron's hot until it, it runs out but it it really seems like it's a it's a rich vein for them in terms of an area of original content to produce it's a good time to have a backlog, right? Like, of, and I do feel, do you think I'm paranoid when I say that I think Netflix has a show for literally any situation and they just look at what's happening in the world and launch it? Yeah, maybe they just have, yeah. Like, I think they probably have just like a million things that they haven't released and they're like, we can wait. And then they were like, oh, you know what? This weird virus is happening in Wuhan. Hmm let's launch that pandemic thing that we've been sitting on for two and a half years. And they just like put it out and feature it. Like I, I believe, I think that might be the case or am I crazy? I'm probably crazy, but it's not impossible. I think there's some truth to that in the sense that, you know, they adjust, they, they have a bigger content hose than anyone else. And that they definitely adjust the timing based on, you know, what's happening in the world. I do think that most of the things that they release, we can go on to the Netflix media site, see the release calendar, and that sort of set several months in advance. So it's not like this all-knowing, immediate response to whatever's happening in the world most of the time. But I do think that they, can, that they the having all this stuff ready gives them an advantage that virtually any other streaming service or network doesn't have. Yeah. Also, I think that like, they're definitely tapping into like people who aren't kind of like cuffed up right now are having a moment. Like I saw an eHarmony commercial yesterday about like video dating mm. and how like you can still go meet your match, just like sign up and video chat or whatever. And like what it's like the first time you see them and hear them laugh, but like it was via video <laughs> and like <laughs> cool whatever no judgment on any of that truly because i know that we're like all kind of just trying to find the new normal and the path forward and stuff like that but i do think that netflix is probably like you said daryl gonna like not only ride the tele the reality television wave but also the like reality dating tv wave right now i think it's like a it's a sweet spot Mm mm-hmm I mean, one of the other advantages that reality TV has is that it's generally just a lot cheaper to produce than scripted content. And so I think it just, on some level, it's sort of crazy 
for them not to have reality TV in the mix. And I yeah, imagine that probably what, what maybe they hesitated about initially was figuring out how these different formats work on a streaming service where usually you release all the episodes at once instead of on a week-to-week basis. And I, yeah. and I bet they probably were just like, does that make sense? Like, can, can you release a full season of one of these shows all at once and people will still talk about it? And I think they've established the answer is yes. I mean, that in some cases, like um, Love is Blind, they can stagger it. And, and so it's still, there's a little bit of, of excitement TV. waiting for the next week. But also, I mean, in this case, it's just, let's just release all of it. People are still talking about it. Totally fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. The Bachelor's always been appointment TV or whatever, right? And it's and it wasn't clear that that would translate, but it seems to have translated very well. Um based on the top 10 lists at least. Okay, let's do spoilers cuz doesn't Daryl have a hard stop here in like 20? Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, let's let's move into spoilers. So if you don't want to know what happens in the full season of Too Hot to Handle or if you haven't seen it already, um you should probably stop listening now. So do we want to talk about favorite characters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have mine. Um, my number one favorite character is Rhonda. Mm-hmm. But like, it depends on what we mean. We do this every time. It depends on what we mean by favorite. So like most entertaining to watch probably isn't Rhonda, to be honest. Um, but she's like the person that I would most enjoy like having a beer with because i think she's just like a real person and she seemed like to have a pretty level head like she seemed smart funny nice like just like an actual human like most of these people do not feel like real humans that like exist on the planet that you would like (laughs) even bump into Right. Like even at like on like spring break, you wouldn't bump into these people. They're like total caricatures. Well, they're the most Um, beautiful people on the planet. How did they put it in like the one the first episode? At one point, they they make some ridiculous claim. That's like. uh, Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) I remember like being like, wait, what? But like they said it super confidently. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they returned to it, though. The producer was probably like, yeah, let's just sneak this one. (laughs) We'll just like let it be. We can get away with it one time. Um, And then my second favorite character, also person I could see my like seems at least like 80 percent real was David. I think his name was. Yeah. British guy. Yeah. He also seemed like a legitimate human being. Not my favorite, and definitely said some things that I found pretty gross, but like overall tolerable. And then most entertaining character, I actually think the blonde girl who left from Florida. Uh, Haley? Like I've never met a dumber human being. I like I literally at one point I think she was like, yeah, he said he was from. Australia and like I don't even know where that is like it's a whole fucking continent (laughs) like there's only seven of them like although again I think that was if like watching it you see her say that and she's sort of half smiling and then her face kind of starts to like I just think I think like (laughs) that everyone was encouraged to be the dumbest like craziest version of themselves and in that moment I think she definitely was like oh shit I went too far. Like this is this is too dumb. I should not have said that on camera. 
like obviously the Francesca Harry drama was pretty tantalizing. Yeah. Like it, th- that was like the focal point I think of most of, like with Rhonda and Sharon, you had like a serious version of the show where like it actually felt more serious. And then Harry and Francesca were like this jokey part of funny part of the show. And the person that I could stand the least. Oh, say it. Was say it. It's got to be. It, there's only Jesus. one. Jesus. No way. Come on. Yeah. No, he was trying to be one of us. He's not one of us. Get out of here. Listen, you fucking Jesus loser. was totally strange. He thought he was totally. He thought he was cool and above it all. And like, no, no, I agree with all. Literally, of that. the first thing he says on like, camera is, "I'm a deep thinker." Do you know he reminded me of a lot no, of no, people wait, I know in he tech? He followed it but, up. He followed up. I'm a deep thinker with. I think about stuff a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've met I've met plenty of him at tech industry events a lot, but not ours though. Um, sure, sure. Yes, through 16th. Yes, not ours. Uh, but the the one I hated the most, and why w- w- honestly. I'm still like, was he a prank? Was Bryce? I thought he was a prank. I was like, how is this person on this show with all these other people? It was like they just parachuted in this like weird. Why? Because mid- he's not as cute as the rest. He of them? was not attractive. He's like a thirty-something-year-old like sailor nerd. Like he just sucked. He really drove me nuts, and I hated him. And I found I him despicable. And I, I didn't like him in particular but also after the episode where they wrote down the words and he like he felt slightly more genuine after that oh, he like admitted that people like called him ugly his whole life and that he was bullied and that like he puts on a front like that all just i know it's not like i'm sure anthony's gonna be like well actually he was acting <laughs> and the producers told him to say that but like i i i felt more empathy for him after that but also he was like kind of neutral to me i was like oh this douchebag but that's how i felt about all of them oh i don't like, know i liked i thought kind of like a starting clear, place for most i didn't of like the any of these people i just <laughs> thought that specifically that scene with Haley, you could see a very specific dynamic going on i think i i felt like i felt like chloe was actually like likable because she was w- oh yeah I, I like chloe chloe's okay like i, I yeah, Chloe's fine. And at times, I also found Kells quite likable when he was being no, the no, accountant. No, no. Kells was too, yeah, like too. I'm in control of all of this, and like any of the people. I'm sorry. When you go on a reality show, it is very hard to be the one who successfully judges all the other contestants because you're there too, bitch. So like. <laughs> It is a and it's. I'm not saying it's impossible. It is not impossible because there have been contestants on, like The Bachelor and Survivor, who have pulled that off. But it is a very, very difficult tightrope to walk to do that to be like the cool one that sides with the audience. And I felt like Kells kept wanting to do that, and so did Jesus or whatever the, his. I, I don't even want to call him Jesus. I hated that Matthew. whole thing. His name's Matthew. Matthew is that his name? Yeah, Matthew and Kells. I feel like both kind of tried to do that and failed at it, in my opinion. By the way, I, you know, 
was when I watched the show, I kind of assumed that everyone, probably because you would find out that Haley is in college in a sorority, I, I assumed that everyone on the show Same. was college age. And now I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, and I'm genuinely a little shocked <laughs> to realize how old some of the actors, the, 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 the characters are. Um, They're not so, actors. Not actors. <laughs> uh, so David. Not actors, not paid. David is 28. Um, Francesca is 26. Rhonda is 27. So, I mean, still, M- Matthew is 29. So they're, yeah. they're significantly younger than I am, like like a lot younger than I am, but also much more closer to being a real adult than I had assumed. Because I had sort of said like, oh yeah, like when you're in college and and around that in you know early twenties, you're just dumb and just want to have fun and like I don't not that that like suddenly evaporates when you turn twenty five or anything, but I'm kind of shocked to realize that some of them are approaching thirty. Well, like, think about, like, our, t- not to get, like, super zoomed out and philosophical about it, but, like, our timeline is already sl- very slowly shifting to, like, a longer youth, mm-hmm. right? Like, people used to get, like, pregnant at 14 and, like, married at 16 and people were, like, going off to war and getting jobs and, like, used to just grow up quick, right? Like, you get to goof off till you're 12 and then you better get your shit together. And over time that has pushed to 18 to 21 to 25 to 20. I mean, you know, we're not getting married and having kids, particularly in like metropolitan areas until we're in our thirties. Right. And so I think that it might even speed up even more with coronavirus. I I might be like off base with that, or it might do the opposite. I don't know, but yeah, these people are not, and, and like you said, Anthony, I'll, I'll side with you in this moment and say that, like, the producers asked of, for, like, a side of them, right? And, like, it's their immature side. It's the one that's like, oh, I'm going to go bang tonight, you know? Like, not that to do that is immature, I guess. Like, I'm not – everybody has makes their own choices about their life, and that's great and all that stuff. But it did feel very, like, jokey, hokey, immature – but again, like a 28-year-old guy, like, that's kind of how they are in real life. <laughs> yeah, that's Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't find it was that unbelievable. Maybe it's just because I've been poisoned by so many um, seasons and episodes of Love Island that I've watched. Because they all seem the same, right? They're like, I'm an Instagram star and I'm here to have sex because that's what I do in my daily life. And it's like, okay, i I mean, I guess that checks out for you. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to do that, given <laughs> what you're you you know, you're attractive, and why wouldn't you, right? Like, I don't know. So, I didn't find that that unbelievable, but I, uh, yeah, that's fair. Like, I mean, I could almost, you know, you, I guess a, a more charitable way to look at it, and and a more sort of skeptical way to look at what I said is just that maybe, like, as a single well not a single guy but as an unmarried guy without kids like i may be just as at base like shallow as most of the characters on the show it's just that like i don't have like a bodybuilder's build and i can't just walk into a bar and immediately pick people up so i have to like mask it in different ways Mm. but um they have because they can get away with acting this way why wouldn't they like you said yeah yeah they're the purest expression of (laughs) of human nature (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, 
I will say also, I don't have a favorite character, but but Harry is definitely for me like the he's a piece of shit. Fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. No, which one's Harry? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's That's the one right. who's just like immediately turns every who lies about what happened to Francesca and that then was turns bad. everyone against her. Yeah, yeah. That was terrible. Actually, I was like really frustrated by that entire experience and they believed him which is just a mirror they all did they were all like she's shady world, of course right? where a dude is real. like look at what she did it was her and like everyone's like yeah why are you being so defensive francesca and francesca's friend and they're like oh i don't know because it's the fucking truth and he's like i don't know they're fucking crazy and it's like oh my god yeah. this is what it's like that's what it's like in real life no joke yeah, I was pretty sad when she went back to him, uh, especially when she first like just used Kells to make him jealous, but it was no good. Um, she's Canadian, though, so <laughs> got to root for her. Yep. <laughs> Vancouver, and he's ready to move. Oh, good, yeah. That's good. That'll be good for us. Australians love living in Vancouver. Yeah. That's a side note, but they do. Australians love moving to Vancouver. Yes, yeah. Whistler most more, but Vancouver a lot. Like if you ever go to Whistler, which is a ski town like north of Vancouver, it's almost entirely staffed by Australians. Do Australians have skiing? Yeah, they do, but they like to travel and they like the best skiing, I guess, uh, available in the Commonwealth or whatever. So. I don't know. Them, right. They're in Banff also, which is in Alberta. Also tons and tons of Australians in Banff. Cool, cool. So, anyway, good luck with uh, your new friend Harry up there. Your neighbor. Oh, yeah. I'll, we're going to have coffee, I guess, when this all clears up. I mean, I assume that that's a lasting, lifelong relationship. <laughs> it must be. Yeah, yeah. Um. Are there uh, any other things from the the show that we want to talk about? I was I, I I was a little bit annoyed at how reliant the show was on Lana to like build suspense and stuff. Like it really did feel like a billion years. She was like, "Will the following contestants please stand to hear who won?" And she would do one couple, and she's like gonna wait about 45 minutes and then we'll do the next couple we're gonna wait about 45 minutes like bro come on like i get it but we could have shaved a second off of each of those long pauses and it would have been much more tolerable it just like they definitely pushed past my limit with that i guess i feel like every reality show is edited in a way so that it always feels like that to me so i guess i didn't notice that as much here who did the voice did anybody know for that one for the virtual assistant let me look. On, on on Wikipedia, if you click on Lana, it just links to. Virtual yeah, I noticed Assistant. that. That doesn't seem like a good link. <laughs> you can go in <laughs> and edit it. So, Buzzfeed doesn't seem to know either. So this is the biggest mystery. If we find this, this could be the biggest TechCrunch article of the year. Yeah. Somebody's got to track them down. <gasps> There's a whole article about how people are curious about it. There you go. All right. Well, stay tuned. We will uh, we will figure out who Lana is. Uh, before we do that, though, we're going to be back on uh, the weekend on Saturday with a review of season three of Ozark. 
And um, yeah, I guess that, that pretty much wraps it up. I will just remind people that they can always subscribe or leave us a positive review in Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And you can also email us at originalcontent at techcrunch.com. If you have any interesting commentary, we will read it on the show. And everyone else, have a great week. Jordan and Daryl, I will talk to you soon. Have a good bye. Bye-bye.